Our text today is found in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. <clears throat> Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We continue today our study on the family by considering the duties of parents. To you parents, God has entrusted the care of an eternal soul to train and to prepare for his kingdom and his glory. In fact, God even calls the children he gives to believing parents, my children, in Ezekiel 16, verse 21. These children, dear ones, were outwardly acknowledged to be God's children, in the Old Testament, by means of circumcision. And in the New Testament, they are acknowledged to be God's children by means of baptism. Thus, parents, you are actually God's stewards in loving and training His children. Therefore, we are responsible to see that God's children are not trained according to their own way, nor according to our own way, but rather according to God's own way. None of us are perfect parents. I'm sure that comes as no surprise to us as parents and probably especially to the children that they don't have perfect parents. We all fail to measure up to the standard of God who is a perfect parent. Yet, as we acknowledge our desperate need of Jesus Christ in this area, as in all areas, the Lord, as a patient Father to us, will train us to train the children He has given to us. We are not left to our own devices, our own resources or strength, our confidence is not in the arm of flesh, but our hope is in the name of the Lord, our God, who made heaven and earth. This Lord's Day, let us consider two questions from our text in Proverbs 22.6. First, what is the training here referred to? And second, how is this training to be accomplished? The first question then, what is the training here referred to? There are a couple ways in which this verse in Proverbs 22.6 has been understood in relationship to the training that is commanded. First of all, some have understood Proverbs 22.6 to mean train up a child in the way he would go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. In the way he would go as opposed to the way he should go. 
In understanding the verse in this sense, Solomon would be teaching that if a child is always given what he wants instead of what he needs, he will not depart from being that same kind of a person when he becomes old. Well, that certainly is true. It is true in and of itself. When a child is allowed to do whatever he wants to do, he will demand the same type of treatment when he becomes an adult. The reason so many adults cannot accept no in their lives as adults is because they were never trained to accept it as a child. As a result, many adults throw temper tantrums, pout, persistently nag, talk back, or strike back when they do not get their way. If children are taught that tears will get them what they want, do you think they will stop doing so as an adult when they don't get what they want? You see, there was the lessons, both good and bad lessons, that we learn as children are not easily unlearned when we become adults. That is why as parents we must carefully train our children for their own good, that their manipulations will not get them what they want. Now, although this sense of the verse which I've just related to you is true in and of itself, I would submit it does not seem to fit the thrust of the verse as a whole as we shall see in considering the second way in which to understand Proverbs 22.6. Most commentators, and I would stand with them as well, understand Proverbs 22.6 in the way that is, it is translated in the authorized version. Train up a child in the way he should go rather than in the way he would go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Why is this the better understanding of the verse? Well, the, the Hebrew word train up is used several times in the Old Testament. And it always has a good end for the training that is in view rather than a bad end for the training that is in view. In fact, the Hebrew verb for train up comes from the noun, which means the palate or the roof of the mouth. The word train up literally describes the process in which a mother would rub date juice upon the roof of a child's mouth, a newborn child, in order to stimulate the sucking reflex. Thus, the very inherent idea conveyed by this word is one that has a good end in view in training up. The second view, which we are looking at here, and the way to understand Proverbs 22.6, refers to training that is in the child's best interests, which is, as I said, the way in which that word is always used in the Old Testament. 
rather than in the child's worst interests, which would be basically the first view. Train up a child in the way he would go. And so I submit to you that, that this particular verse, Proverbs 22.6, is better understood in this second sense than in the first sense. In the way he should go, not in the way he would go. In this case, looking, continuing to look at this uh, idea of training up uh, in the child's best interests, the verse is a promise that when we are faithful as Christian parents to train our children in the way they should go, that is, in the way of the Lord, when they become adults, if not before, the Spirit of God will ordinarily apply those truths by His grace to the lives of of the sons and daughters of the covenant so that they willingly embrace what they were taught as children, how they were trained as children. And understanding the verse in this way, the Lord is giving parents encouragement that they are one of the ordinary means which God uses to see his promise of salvation realized in the lives of covenant children. Of course, even when the Lord uses parents as a means of training, loving, instructing, and disciplining God's covenant children, this is not to place salvation in the hands of parents. For it is God and God alone that saves, even if he uses ordinary means to bring about his salvation in their lives. Just as it is God and God alone that heals, even if he uses the ordinary means of diet, exercise, supplements, medicines, or doctors to bring about that healing. Or just as it is God and God alone that feeds us and clothes us and shelters us, even if, if he uses ordinary means of jobs and abilities, gifts and money, to bring about that feeding and clothing and sheltering. All good gifts come from heaven above. Neither is this uh, interpretation of the verse, the second view, rendered void if it is not absolutely realized in every case, as in the case of some covenant children like Esau, who never came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> For I would submit neither is the other view absolutely realized. That is, that all of those who are trained in their own way, train up a child in the way he would go, that is not absolutely realized because not all children by God's grace, even if they were trained that way, end up that way. So in neither case can we say that it's absolutely realized that how a child is, is trained, that in every single case he will be exactly that when he becomes an adult. The outward promise of salvation is truly given to covenant children in the gospel and in their baptism. Make no 
there are no doubts about that. But that promise, dear ones, is only realized when the Spirit of God works faith effectually in the life of a child. There is an outward title and privilege in the visible church given to our children, which we as parents must improve upon as our children grow. For this is the ordinary means by which God draws his elect unto himself. And to despise that means is, in effect, to despise the promise which God has given. But to cherish the means is to cherish the promise. To cherish parenting. And what God has called us as parents to do is to cherish the promise that God has made to our children. The promise is outwardly given, and then the promise is inwardly embraced by God's free grace. Dear ones, if there were no promise outwardly made and given in the gospel or in our baptism, upon what would we have warrant to lay hold of by faith? If God did make his promises in presenting the gospel to all men to come unto him, if he did not, if he did not extend the offer of the gospel to all men, Upon what would man trust? Upon what would man rely? Therefore, dear parents, do not despise or ignore so great a salvation that is promised to you and to your children. Rather, improve upon that promise and what you teach and how you train your children. The Hebrew word used here for train up is translated in various ways in the Old Testament, which will prove to be, I believe, helpful in our understanding of Proverbs 22.6. The Hebrew word for train up is translated as dedicated in Numbers 7.10, where the altar of the Lord was dedicated after being built. Now, if certain temporal buildings were dedicated or consecrated to the Lord in the Old Testament, how much more so is the life of a child whose soul is eternal to be dedicated to the Lord who gave it. In this sense, child training is properly a religious duty we owe to God and to our child. The Hebrew word, secondly, for train up is translated as trained in Genesis 14.14 to refer to Abraham's trained servants, that is, those who were trained as soldiers, In this sense, child training is not a careless, sporadic event that happens once in a while within our homes, but is a consistent, diligent, supervised duty which is daily a part of a parent's life. If men are to be trained for battle in mere earthly conflict for their bodies, again, how much more should our children be trained for battle? in a spiritual conflict for their souls. Thirdly, it is also worth noting, I believe, that this same Hebrew word translated train up in Proverbs 22.6 
was later used by Jews, not in the Old Testament scriptures, but in some of their extra-biblical writings. The same word was used by the Jews to refer to catechizing children in the truths of God's word, which emphasizes the religious instruction our children should receive from the time they are very, very small. This training of a child takes not only the form of words, that is instruction and reproof, but takes the form of chastening, that is the use of discipline, use of the rod as well. Training takes in all that we do for or in front of our children, not just in formal instruction, but also in informal conversation, not simply in worship, but in play. Not only in words, but also in deeds. Not just in how our children act before us, but how we act before our children. All of that is included in training our children. Even those who are careless and negligent in the proper teaching of their children are nevertheless teaching their children something. The question is not whether our children will be taught, but rather how they will be taught. Whether in their own way, whether in our own way, or in God's own way. What is the supreme standard for the training of our children? God's word, of course. Dear ones, you may have never had a godly example of parenting to follow from your father or from your mother. Certainly none of us have had perfect parents whose examples we could follow. We are not perfect parents. There have been no perfect parents. God alone is the perfect parent. That's our father. But I want to encourage you today, even if you have not had Christian parents, even if you had very ungodly parents who set an example of that before you. You're not doomed to failure as a parent for that reason. You're not doomed to failure. You're not doomed to repeat their parenting. You'll never be, dear ones, a perfect parent, but you can be a faithful parent. You can be a faithful parent. You have all the instruction you need in the Holy Scriptures where you'll find not only examples as to how to parent, but how not to parent. Where you'll find precepts, commands, and you'll find the example of God himself and how he parents us. The Father. And so you can learn afresh and anew. Your your parenting skills that you have learned, adapted from your own parents, can be altered and changed by God's rich grace and mercy. You do not have to repeat what you have seen and observed in, in the past. We can never excuse our own unfaithful child training, however, by blaming our parents. 
We can never say, I'm a poor parent because my parent was, or my mother or my father was a poor mother or father in parenting me. We can't blame them. That gets nowhere. That only indulges us in self-pity, feeling sorry for ourselves, and feeling as if we are mere victims and we can't do anything about the situation. That leads us to helplessness and despair. If we're poor parents, dear ones, it is our sin. And we must acknowledge it to be such. It is our sin. We must confess it as our own sin. We must accept it as our own responsibility. And we must seek God's forgiveness and grow in the grace of God in becoming godly parents. Therefore, while your children are young, there ought not to be a subject you study and apply more carefully in your practical Christian living than learning to be a wise, loving, and godly parent. Sometimes we get so caught up in discussing various theological matters, which are no doubt very important, but may neglect the daily training of our children in the ways of the Lord. Sometimes we become so involved in theological discussions and fellowship among ourselves that we neglect what our children are doing during fellowship meals. We don't keep an eye on them. We have more care for what we're discussing here. Dear ones, sound doctrine is necessary in the Christian life. But sound doctrine that is not lived out in the way we train our children is not practical and is not useful as it should be to either us or to our children. What is the goal of child training? Ultimately, as in all things, the goal of child training is to glorify God. To reflect the glory of God. That all may see the abundant grace and mercy of God in our lives and in the lives of our children. There is nothing more humbling in life, I would submit to you, than being a parent and training children. We constantly see our own helplessness as parents. We constantly see our own weakness and frailties and sins as parents. And how far we fall short of being the example that we ought to be. Here we see not only our children's need of Christ in parenting, but our own desperate need of Christ as well. Faithful parenting is not the result of your goodness or mine, nor the result of your strength or mine, but is the result of God's grace, Christ's righteousness, and the Spirit's sanctification in our lives alone. With Paul, we must say, we are what we are by the grace of God. Whatever degree we see God's benefit, God's blessings poured out upon our children through our lives, through our testimony, through our example. It is always 
We are what we are by the grace of God. Let me quickly note that there are two temporal goals toward which our child training should be directed. And God willing, we'll have more time to talk about these in a subsequent sermon. But the the two temporal goals are these. A lawful calling for our children and their marriage. We may not be giving much thought about a lawful calling or marriage while our children are in their infancy. However, we should be, I would submit to you, we should be praying, even from their infancy, that the Lord would direct our children to a lawful calling that would glorify God and that God would give to them a godly spouse if he does intend that they should be married. As we see certain interests come along in the lives of our children, they have certain interests. We should channel those interests in the right direction of a lawful calling that will glorify God. Parents likewise have a most crucial role to play in preparing their children for marriage. Parents, the future of your posterity, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, etc., etc., hinges upon preparing your child to be a godly spouse and teaching your child what to look for in a godly spouse. Not only are there temporal goals to which our children, child training should be directed, but eternal goals as well. The salvation of their souls and promotion of Christ's kingdom. Dear ones, you can forget about the college your child graduated from. All the honors he achieved, the prestige he attained in his calling, the amount of money he earned, for none of that matters if he spends eternity in hell. In the final analysis, all that really matters is the state of our child's soul. Dear ones, is your child training consciously directed toward the eternal salvation of your child? Although parents cannot save their children's souls, they are one of the most significant means appointed by God through whom, by which, Our children are brought to Jesus Christ. Dads and moms, are you more concerned that your children have fun, eat right, or get a good education than that they embrace the Lord Jesus Christ alone for their eternal salvation and use their lives to promote the kingdom of Christ and their calling? Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 26, For what is a man profited? if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Our second main point is the question, how is this training of our children to be accomplished? Here I simply desire to list several ways in which we should be training our children if we, if we would do so with God's blessing. <clears throat> First, train them with much love and affection. <clears throat> Parents, our children should know the way of tenderness from us. 
Fathers, it is not going to make your son a sissy to show him affection by hugging him and treating him with tenderness. Nor your daughters as well. Fathers who believe they need to toughen up their sons by being harsh or severe toward them may actually lead their sons to despair of ever wanting to be a man like dad. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21 says to fathers, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. The severe and harsh approach with children may frighten them for the moment into submission, but it will not persuade the child that you are right. Remember that a slavish fear in a child drives a child from you, but a parental reverence and affection within a child drives a child to you. Just as it does in our relationship with God, a slavish fear does not drive us to Jesus Christ. It drives us away from our Savior. But a holy awe and wonder, a reverential fear for God drives us to the Lord. For we do not lose sight of his love for us when we have that familial reverence and fear for God. Mothers, be careful in this regard that you do not go to the other extreme and overindulge in your children, thinking to perhaps balance out your husband's severity or harshness, indulging, overindulging your children, thinking that love means giving them whatever they want. Beware of spoiling your children and allowing their tears to guide you in whichever direction the child wants to go. Ask yourself, how did the word spoil come to be used in regard to children, as in spoiling your children? Because giving a child whatever he desires just to satisfy him or just to make him happy is the surest way to spoil or to ruin his soul. Overindulgence will make a child lazy, dependent, and self-absorbed in his own world. Dear ones, we do, we do not know how long the Lord will give to us the children that he has given to us. We don't know how long the Lord will allow us to raise these covenant children. Let us not fail to let our children know that we do love them and care for them. Second way in which to train our children. Train your children knowing their natural bent toward evil. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Proverbs 22.15 states. Psalm 58 verse 3 states, The wicked are estranged 
from the womb, they go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Children do not need to be taught to lie. They don't need to be taught to be disrespectful, to be disobedient, to fight with their brothers or their sisters, or to want all of their desires to be fulfilled. That's the nature with which all of us are born. Gardening season uh, is upon us, right? Some of us are looking forward to that. How many of us, uh, when we go out into our flower bed, are shocked and surprised to find a weed in our garden patch? Just utterly amazed that there's a weed growing there. Did you sow them there? Of course not. The seeds of these weeds are in the air. And they're in the soil. However, you probably don't freak out because weeds appear in your garden. But rather, you take the steps necessary to remove them and prevent them from spreading. So it is with our children. Set your expectations that your children will sin. They will disobey you. They will disobey God, break his commandments, even as your pastor will do, even as parents will do, even as all of us will do. When people come and talk with me about sins, I am, again, I'm not shocked by that. Because I know Christians are not perfect. They're not sinless. Christians have problems like non-Christians. We have the solution. Our children, just like us, dear ones, need the Lord Jesus Christ to give them the grace to be delivered from their sin. Remember that the manifestation of sin in our children is an excellent opportunity to impress upon them their need of Christ on a daily basis. Every time someone comes and talks with me about a problem, it's an excellent opportunity to talk about the gospel and the effects of the gospel in our lives. The wonders of sanctification, the grace of God. If they recognize that they have sinned. Certainly we, if they don't even recognize the sin, I'm not sure why they would be coming to talk with me, but if they don't recognize that sin, then beginning with the law of God would be the first place to begin. But if they do recognize the sin and confess it as sin but want help, it's an excellent opportunity that God gives to all of us in that situation. Let your children know that Christ is there to help them if they will come to him. Don't excuse or condone their sins, but rather instruct, reprove, chasten, pray, so as to prevent the spread of those sins in the future. However, when our expectation, expectations are properly set, we will be less likely to overreact in an ungodly manner when our children sin or when someone says to us, do you know what your child said? Do you know what your child did? Knowing the bent of our children towards sin, how we as Christian parents are cast upon the Lord for we know we are unable to change their hearts. 
It is only Christ that can change the hearts of our children. However, we can, by the means by which Christ does so, as we ever direct our children to the God of all grace, we can be that means to direct them to the Lord Jesus Christ. The third way in which we are to train our children is train them to respect their elders. That is, those who are much older than themselves and all those who hold a place of lawful authority. Our children will likely have a very hard time holding any job if they do not respect authority. They will always be in conflict with their boss or with their marital partner. Our daughters will find it difficult to be submissive in their marriages if they have not been taught to respect lawful authority. Furthermore, if we do not take the time to instill in our children respect for their elders, they will not likely learn how to respect the Lord God himself to submit to his will. Fourthly, train your children to love the truth. Train them to love the truth. Never respond to serious questions put to you by your children by saying, I don't know, but we've always done it that way. That's what your grandpa and your great-grandpa believed, and we're going to believe and practice the same thing. If you don't know the answer to a child's question, be honest. Simply tell him that he has asked a very good question, and that you will give him an answer as you reflect and meditate upon it. Think about it more. Always seek to use the word of God when answering your children's questions so that they learn that God's word is relevant to all areas of their life. If our children are trained to love the truth, they will also be trained to tell the truth, to speak the truth. Dear ones, if you excuse your children's lying as no big deal, you will destroy the very foundation of trust. Trust is built upon truth. For you cannot trust one who does not tell the truth. Expect the truth by way of of when your children do sin in this way, by lying. Deal with that particular situation. And, and use the means that God gives to you to let your children know this is totally unacceptable because you will not be able to trust them and they will grow up with others not being able to trust them. Do we trust Satan? No, we don't. Why? Because he's the father of lies. Do we trust God? Yes, we do. Why? Because it's impossible for God to lie. If you would have an open relationship with your children, teach them to love the truth. Fifth, train your children to work hard. Don't let them spend their whole day in playing and recreation as they grow up. Obviously, when they're very, very small, uh, that's one thing, but... From the time that they're able to begin to do chores, you know, pick up their toys, 
to help get certain items you know, that you need. Send them on little errands to do things. Recreation is important to break up the day, but recreation is not to consume the whole day. Plan your children's day with chores, with schoolwork, with works of mercy to others in the church or in the neighborhood, in writing letter, letters to pen pals or to, to those who need encouragement, in reading good literature, as well as having time to run and play. Idleness and pleasure-seeking will only breed discontentment and discouragement when God brings afflictions and trials into their lives. Sixthly, train your children by your own example. We've noted that already. Your children, especially when they're young, will tend to learn more by what they see than by what they hear. Therefore, your godly example is absolutely essential to their training. Children are little imitators. You probably have seen that time and time again. They like to imitate other people, particularly their parents. And just by observing the family, when they're very, very small, bowing their heads at the table and offering prayer just before the meal, after witnessing that for a period of time, most of you who have ch- uh, children who have grown up have noted that eventually you, you see your little child at the end uh, doing something very similar and maybe even uttering uh, words which you know, no one can understand, but, uh, but they're, they're, they're going through imitating or even in psalm singing before... before uh, uh, your children learn what they're saying, they may simply uh, mumble at, the cer- at that time when you line out the psalm because they're, they're imitating you. And this is the way children are. They look to your example. And so consider how important it is as a parent that we seek to set a godly example before our children that we do not set stumbling blocks before them, but stepping stones. Seventhly, train your children by giving them a a Christian education. I know that a solid Christian education is indeed time-consuming. It requires a lot of sacrifice on on the part particularly of mothers. But I would submit it shouldn't fall entirely upon the shoulders of mothers. As fathers, we should be willing to help in any way that we can. If there are questions that the children have which we can help answer, that we should be willing to do so. That we should try to encourage the children to be faithful in their schoolwork. If if you believe that an incentive is appropriate to offer incentives... Uh, for finishing and completing assignments and doing them well. Um, those, are, those are all things that as, as fathers we can do to encourage. Certainly paying, being willing to pay for a curriculum that will uh, meet the needs of your family. This is one of those sacrifices of love wherein you must not only look at the present hardships because homeschooling is indeed a hardship in many, many ways. But we must learn to look to the future benefits that flow from 
that homeschooling, that Christian education. And finally, the last thing that I would mention is train your children in the use of the means of God's grace. Our, ch- our children should not be strangers to the word of God, baptism, and prayer. From their earliest days, we should read the scripture to them and pray with them. Again, even before they fully comprehend what is going on. We should teach them what their baptism means. And that in baptism, they are formally bound to trust in Christ, to love Christ, to obey him. They are, dear ones, covenanters from conception. And their baptism declares such to be the case, that they are covenanters. Even before they can read the Bible for themselves, we can begin teaching them how to pray very simple prayers by repeating prayers after us. As they grow, we can listen to the prayers they offer to God at night and encourage them in their prayers. When our children are able to read the scripture, they should be directed to have their own secret worship, both in the morning and in the evening. That we should not only encourage that of them, but we should require that of them. Before they get on to all of the other things that they need to do, we should be asking them, have you had your secret worship? If they're old enough to read, if they're old enough to pray, we should be asking them that that question. That encourages us as parents to be faithful in our secret worship because how hypocritical to say to our children, have you had your secret worship when we have not had our own secret worship? But we should be encouraging that and asking our children those types of questions before they fall asleep. Have you had your secret worship? We should encourage them to participate in family worship. Perhaps reading. uh, Perhaps asking questions of them. Participation in various ways. You see, through all these means, the children are developing a love for the means of grace. They're learning to appropriate God's grace if we take these steps in their, in their lives. But if we come to family worship, oh, well, let's get over, you know, let's have family worship uh, before we go to bed. You know, I mean, have that kind of an attitude that, that well, this is really terrible, but we've got to do it. Guess what kind of an attitude our children are going to have with regard to the means of grace? The law of God is an essential part of our children's training, God's commandments. But never leave children, never ever leave children in a state where they merely feel the sting of God's law upon their conscience. Direct them from that point to Jesus Christ who can remove that sting in their conscience. Assure them where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. They must always know that Christ is able and willing to help them, forgive them, and strengthen them. 
There was Christ is always inviting these little lambs to come unto himself. And those who hinder them have sinned grievously against God. They should hear from us that Christ is more willing to give his grace to those who come than they are to receive that grace. He will not cast out any of these dear children who come to him. And if he will not cast them out, he will not cast you parents out either. Here's an encouragement to all of us. Here's an encouragement to all of us to come to Christ every day to avail ourselves of the means of grace that we may grow in Jesus Christ by those means. Let us stand together in prayer. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.